I didn't always have the answer. I had kind of the general concepts of rehab in general, hamstring, rehabs, running mechanics, return to speed, whatever, down packed pretty much. But I didn't have the management of those pieces down yet. So I was doing a lot of reaching out. I wasn't necessarily telling the athlete that I was because you got to maintain confidence. Coaches, this podcast is sponsored by Samson Equipment. They have been providing elite strength training equipment and professional weight room solutions since 1976. If you value high-quality products, great customer service, and a company with integrity, make Samson Equipment your go-to. Visit them at www.samsonequipment.com. That's S-A-M-S-O-N equipment.com. And let them know that the Talking Shop podcast sent you. Eric Oodleson, Coach Oods. I've never met another Oodleson before. What do you go by? What can we call you besides Eric? I like Eric. Eric's just, all good. Just Eric. I'm a yeah. simple guy. Simple guy. Simple guy. That's, that's great. Welcome to the Talking Shop podcast. Where I'm here to share stories, lessons, and experiences in sports performance and professional developments. Getting away from the X's and O's. More about you, your journey, because we're all more similar than dissimilar. You know, and, and kind of what you've learned along the way. So, Eric is current. Well, first, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. I'm back in uh, Massachusetts, cold. Uh, so back for the holidays, seeing seeing some fam. So it's been good. I'm sure Philly isn't too much warmer, but no, not much better. Northeast, pretty brutal overall. Yeah, yeah. So Eric is a or the performance coach. I don't know how many they have at the the second team level, but a One performance. One Just what, you are the oh. the performance coach for the Philadelphia Union two, so yep. Philadelphia Union is the first team MLS, and then he's uh, the performance coach of the second team. He is a graduate and alum of Boston University soccer. He's been with uh, the Union for two years, and kind of how we got connected through uh, our guy, our guy Carl. Mm -hmm. um, but being relatively young, kind of in our our careers, I, I believe we're the same age. But I think just like throughout all the phone calls and stuff, I've just appreciated like your your curiosity and just like similar kind of outlook and lens and um and just like you know you, you just like trust your gut and I think you're a good dude you know like you just watch an athlete do a fly ten you're like oh that was the one right mm -hmm. and I think just through a few, a few phone calls I was like hopefully he sticks around for a little while so hopefully I don't, I don't traumatize you on this podcast fantastic so I wanted to ask because I don't know if I I've had anyone else. On the pod, I've had Kyle Voigt, who I don't know if he's still with Austin FC, but I didn't have him on when he was with Austin FC. Yeah. Kind of MLS, especially up to the second team level. But can you explain, as I I was kind of interviewing for the Chicago Fire a little while ago, and I learned just how the academy works. So could you give us just like a super brief, multiple bullet points at most, kind of how a pro team is organized? And then um, I'll ask you one follow-up about what it's like being in the MLS. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool experience to be in there. Um, I think from when I kind of set my sights on being a strength and conditioning, I guess, uh, professional, that was kind of my main goal to actually work with pro athletes and, and getting there actually is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I was up in, uh, Austin FC working as an intern within the high performance staff. So under like fantastic people, Dave, Dave Tenney, super well-known across the world, really, um, as a high-performance director, Chad Kolarchik as well. So 
learned a ton under those guys. Um, so yeah, obviously you have your first team, you have kind of academy under that. Um, I think, you know, working with pro guys and I, I know you've been there too. I, I maybe, uh, was taking it on in a more limited capacity than I am now as an intern, but you definitely learned some solid lessons working, um, with kind of that caliber of athlete who happens to be making a lot of money, uh, just totally different vibe, uh, to college. So that kind of presents unique challenges there and some getting used to, um, yeah, I think it's interesting kind of transitioning from there um, to the academy working at the union um, where you're working with young, super talented guys who are um, pretty close in terms of proximity to those pro guys. You're working kind of out of the out of the same facility. Um, so I think I've kind of tried my best to use that as a motivational tool for these kind of up and coming talented academy guys um but also i've found there can be some challenges there um for certain guys who you know they're seeing these pro superstar millionaire guys walking through every day and you kind of have that physical proximity um and they kind of almost assume that they're there they've arrived as well uh -huh. actually haven't <laughs> um so without being i guess uh, working in the academy without being too brash and kind of knocking them down too much, you do need to give a bit of a reminder to those guys that, yes, like that is motivation for something to strive for. And like you're in a really good place in your development, but you haven't yet made it. Um, so it's kind of working that balance. That's that's something unique I've found about um, working in the pros. And I think beyond that, I can definitely speak for the union on this. You're, you just have access to super driven talented athletes just from the jump um and that's you know there is kind of the occasional exceptions to that rule but from the jump like the union academy um is known for producing pro guys and even guys who go beyond mls um so again you can kind of use that to your advantage as a motivational tool um to your athletes saying like you know brendan aronson paxton aronson uh, these sort of guys making a lot of money in Europe, um, that could be you too. You're at the same stage they were a few years ago. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, obviously pros and cons, but that's, that's, I guess, been my kind of experience working in a pro environment. Especially being that, that close, you know, second team, it's like those guys could be first teamers. And when you're a first teamer, like anything can go, but don't mm -hmm. worry. I, uh, I totally understand. I, partly jokingly can summarize my job into two bullet points, which I gladly share with my athletes. It's pump up and encourage the girls, my female athletes and humble mm. the boys. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, especially working with the, within the Academy, you get that variety of age groups. Um, so it really challenges you as a coach and you're kind of, uh, yeah, I guess like language abilities and kind of Kurt, uh, individualizing your coaching style to that population but definitely to your point like there's just that prime age of like 13 to 16 where these kids think they're like invincible and, and you do 18 to 22 them. also uh-huh yeah that i guess it does spread into college yeah you gotta humble you gotta humble a little bit but kind of 
sneak in the um the hype man moments as well i guess it's a, it's a little balance there yeah just the the, the ratio is different per gender per, per right. but... yeah yeah it's not only humbling you know but yeah um so so last as part of our our discussions has been have been whether it's like career development and stuff like that or whether it's like just speed training and stuff like that you know i think like experimenting and being curious about kind of how to get to kind of what's next so if you could describe kind of like when it's your turn to like dive down a a, a new rabbit hole like where does experimenting kind of come into play for you and um if someone's kind of on the fence about I don't know, maybe kind of getting out of their comfort zone, whether it's with training in their own workouts or maybe just trying a thing or two with their athletes or sending a DM to, you know, a, a coach. What what uh, advice would you kind of give? How how impactful has it been to you? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a great question. Yeah, I definitely do a lot of reading, studying and just consuming of, you know, the the absolute mountain of information that's out there. Um, and I think definitely when you're coming up, not that I'm like this crazy experienced guy or anything, but certainly when you're coming up compared to having a few years under you and like the actual applied space and actually being in charge of, you know, real decision-making, like you're in charge of the program, everyone's looking at you, um, to kind of make these calls. I think compared to when I was younger, you kind of see something and you're kind of lifelong learner and excitement take kind of takes over and you want to immediately do it um, regardless of if it's actually feasible in your environment or not. Um, and do you have the equipment? Does it work for your population? Yes or no. Um, will it actually help your group become better at their sport? Yes or no. Um, so I think I've kind of had to bottle down that urge and kind of the academic and um, the curiosity in me a little bit without, you know, too much bottling down. Um, but yeah, I think the point about self-experimentation is super important. And it's just, a, you know, it's important to stay healthy in general, for sure. But like maintaining a, uh, a the minimum level of fitness and I guess strength and power to actually be able to try out every method available on yourself where there aren't that many, there's not, you know, yourself is at danger for <laughs> risk of injury and not your athletes. Um, I think that's super important. So I'm big on that. Like I train three times a week and I try a lot of things out. I'm not really afraid to do that. I think beyond that, if people are looking for advice, my way of, you know, when I find something I like, for instance, I took the, um, you know, isometric strength training course from Sportsmith, Alex and Tara stuff. And I really was a fan on the surface and I knew it's, it's a pretty versatile tool. Um, so it could potentially be a really valuable thing to bit, to bring into kind of this developmental space for up and coming soccer guys, um, who are coming through the system. Um, my way of trying it out is either in kind of a rehab space. Um, and there are plenty of good case studies supporting you know, that method in particular, or I'll have these kind of like smaller IDP groups. So like three, four guys who are really desperate to improve. So I'll try, kind of try it out there, smaller group, air some things out. And then if I can, I'll then bring it to kind of the larger group level. If I'm pretty confident in 
it having like pretty good effects? Um, do we have the equipment? Do we have kind of the staffing means to manage it in the right way? Um, so there's a lot that goes into it and you can't just, certainly you can't just knee jerk, uh, see something you like on the internet um, and just throw it on in there. You kind of have to put it through the filter, I think, so to speak. Yeah, in a, in a recent podcast or a presentation I gave, I said like anecdata counts. If, mm. if you've heard that phrase, you know, anecdotes, but like anecdata, like yeah. even if, if it's just like a, oh, I heard this on a podcast or I saw this in an Instagram post. Oh, dude, in my next workout. Oh, I like how that felt. Oh, I'm curious. Maybe it would go well with that athlete. And then you're like, hey, like, let's try, uh, let's try a few reps of this. And then like, it kind of like, like snowballs from there. Yeah. yeah but definitely like scratching out the team's program and like adding something in, you know, that's probably not the way to go. But uh, I also say like, no one really cares if I get hurt in my own workouts, but sure. a lot of people are going to care if my athletes get a little banged up, you know? Right. Right. Well, that, I think it's also the value of, you know, you, you maybe you do these kind of internships uh, on the path to then getting a full-time gig. But I think a lot of people coming up are just dead set on getting a pro job and being in a first team environment or else they consider it a failure, I guess. Um, but really like when you're coming up as a coach and you don't have 10 years of experience trying things out and really knowing what works anecdotally, like you said, um, you need a certain population where you can experiment a little bit like at the team level and getting those reps in where the stakes are lower. So then when you get to you know, those pro guys where there are high stakes, like it's not a good situation. God forbid it happens in the future. <laughs> if I get there, it's not a good situation to, you know, be trying something out and a pro guy goes down before a big game, there's money on the line, kind of all these different repercussions that do not exist at the academy level. Um, so I think for coaches that just think it's first team or, you know, pro pro level or nothing, I think that's a mistake. And even if it's not even an academy team within a pro organization, like I'm not saying anything crazy, but it's just about getting coaching reps in period where you can get it um, and kind of building from there. Oh, hands down, you know, and, and then just to get it on yourself and then you know how it feels and how to coach it and what, like what compensations or errors they could have and, and just stuff like that. But I think it was a really good point about you just need reps and hands down, like my time at TC Boost for three years, and like your your year last year in the academy, like one hundred one hundred percent, I'm able to do this job at Northwestern now because I had so many different athletes, and like every factor that could possibly be, like no two factors were the same, and number of athletes, experience of athletes, sports, like where we were, what was available, like it was so different all the time, and having to get kids to want to come back and better with like no consistency whatsoever i think was such a, a great challenge and um a an alum of the pod i guess i'll call him alums an ex-guest i don't know he'll be on soon again but hunter eisenhower he was at uh, uc davis with seven teams and mm. then he was with the sacramento kings with like the g league slash uh like first team in the nba so that's what 25 athletes tops you know yeah. 24 or maybe 30. And then now he's at Arizona state with men's basketball and triathlon. And he was like, hands down. If I only had like basketball and triathlon from the beginning, I wouldn't be nearly the coach that I am today. 
just to get so many reps over the course of, you know, like you go from two teams to seven, you get three and a half times more of the reps, just living your normal life, you know? Yeah. And I guess to your point, like many, many coaching reps and also a diverse experience within those reps too. Like whether it's across different ages, that's another thing where people are kind of scouting out their next role. And it's like, they really look down upon working with young guys or kids, really children where like, and they kind of, Oh, that's babysitting. Like it's really not um, in my experience. And if it, in, in some ways, I'm not really a one way or the other guy. I'm not going to say it's way harder than working with pro guys. Cause I've done both, but um, in some ways, like there are some unique challenges communicating with a kid um, compared to a pro and trying to convey a certain message and correct movement, a movement error, um, where like the kid doesn't have the same linguistic abilities that you do. So you got to modify it down, whether that's keeping it super simple or, um, you know, using different sort of analogies. Like you can't, I think you made a point on, uh, cueing style on one of your other podcasts. And it's like, in my experience, the internal cueing, like referencing, uh, anatomy doesn't work as well. So it's like, can you be adaptable in your coaching? And again, getting that diverse experience across ages when like a lot of people on the outside looking in think it's this easy babysitting thing. Like, I don't, I don't agree with that. Kind of, as you were explaining your answer, kind of what came to mind was uh, a recent like staff discussion at, at TC boost was what's the difference between a coach, someone who is a professional and someone who's world-class and basically a coach is someone who kind of just clocks and clocks out, does all the minimums, right? They coach the session, it gets done. They set up breakdown, right? And then a professional does kind of the next level where they're worried about experience. They have a network. They're doing kind of like all those next level things. And it's like, if you're given a salary to coach, I hope that you could like run a session when everyone's there at the right time with the appropriate amount of equipment. No one's banged up. So they're all running the same program, right? But it's like, what's going to take you to the next level? It's like your ability to adapt on the fly, like help athletes get back from injury, right? Like what's like an athlete coming back from thoracic outlet versus like a mom with a banged up shoulder. Is it that difference? Hmm. You know, just being creative and like modifying and asking how how it's going and just like stuff like that. You know, that's just like one example I just made up. But, you know, if you want to be that like next level coach or like a true professional, like can you roll with those punches? Because like, especially at the college, you're going to travel. You're going to have athletes doing return to play stuff. So I think like there's a lot of value in just getting those reps no matter how how it is. And like, I don't think like, of course, to speak in absolutes and to feel like this doesn't really work, but it's like, I think everyone should have like at least two years in the private side or something like an academy just to like get some context and just like all the reps. I think that would be invaluable for sure. Yeah, it's absolutely critical, especially when you're early on in your career, I think. And part of this is luck, I think, but just to add on to that, just, just to the best of your ability, exposing yourself to the best people in the industry whether that's just listening to a bunch of podcasts, there's there's no shortage of amazing kind of educational resources out there for free, you know? So just getting really stuck in on that. I was lucky that I got exposed in person 
to just incredible world-class people from the jump, um, which means you get this like heavy duty imposter syndrome. Um, and I've like held that with me for a long time and it's taken, you know, some time to get over it. Um, but I'm thankful for the fact that that's always kind of my reference point for like what like true high performance is. And that's kind of the standard for like how I want to be as a coach and like what I'm comparing myself to every day. So like, I don't know if we'll get into it. Um, but kind of my main mentor, uh, during my experience at UVA basketball, Mike Curtis, like he's just this brilliant guy, masterful coach, Dave Tenney, world renowned guy at what he does. Um, so again, you have just like a real firm idea of like what to strive for as a practitioner, whereas maybe some people are less fortunate than me coming up and maybe they don't have, you know, these, these incredible mentors or any mentor, um, for that matter. So it's almost like when you're talking about kind of like the next step to make the jump, like to the pros or whatever the highest level is. It's like, maybe that person doesn't have a true understanding for what they have to do. Like, you don't know what you don't know. And maybe they think they're doing like a great job based on their kind of the knowledge they've accumulated when like, they have no idea of like the upper, upper levels of like what the best people are doing. So I look to people, like, if we're talking speed, I'm like all over, you know, Jonas's work, Dan Path, um, Les, all you as well, like all these people out there. So again, that's my reference for what good work is. So it definitely keeps you humble um, and gives you that kind of, yeah, like target point to be how, how you want to be as a practitioner. Oh, our imposter syndrome is super real. And don't worry, I still have it if you don't. Oh, so. yeah, we all do. <laughs> but uh, all right, so we will uh, get into it. I'm sure we could keep going for a while, but so uh, three stories, classic stories, I ask almost all my guests, but so we, we've talked about a little bit of your current spot and kind of like your lens and some of your influences kind of along the way, but let's, let's rewind all the way back to that biggest kind of fork in the road moment. So basically looking back is like that first moment where if you had taken a left instead of a right, kind of this would all be different. Yeah, I think that's a great question, by the way. Um, yeah, for this, I was kind of thinking of my time, even before I was kind of going after the strength and conditioning thing. Um, and I was still kind of finishing up my schooling at Boston University. And my plan at that moment was to be a physical therapist. Mm. So I guess for people who don't know, you kind of do your undergrad studies, kind of, I guess, physical therapy based, kind of the anatomy, that sort of stuff. And then you progress through to the more professional dbt program and i was always a pretty good student through that time but somehow the dbt program there specifically was just like the most insanely rigorous uh academically rigorous process ever um and these people who come in are much older than you sometimes in the dbt program they're just professional students so they're like there 50 minutes before the class and they're just like uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I just felt kind of out of my league and I was kind of getting by academically. I wasn't, and at the, in the meantime, I wasn't even sure I wanted to do physical therapy. So like you're grinding so hard and you're not even sure you want to do that. Um, so I knew 
it was, you know, that potential fork in the road moment, but you have kind of the pressure on you that like, I've put in all this work leading up to yeah. like that kind of professional degree to then become a physical therapist. Like I, I need the thing at the end, but it just felt like this grind for something I didn't even necessarily want. Yeah. Um, and kind of without going into it too much, I guess in the meantime, I was still going after like my own uh, pro soccer aspirations and I, I didn't get much help. I didn't have this huge reputation, but I had like a pro trial lined up in Israel. Wow. Or, uh, Portugal. Um, so I was like, in the meantime, preparing for that, studying harder than I had ever done before, not doing that well in school, which was kind of messing me up. I had never really been there before. Um, and kind of thinking about making the switch to a different field, but you know, as I, it's pretty common, but for people to switch up, um, I guess at that point, but it does feel in the moment, like this kind of leap of faith jump into the abyss where, yeah not really sure what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a tough time, but eventually I decided to pivot to more of an exercise science, uh, master's program at university of Virginia. Um, I kind of knew I needed to do some sort of practical, um, get some sort of practical experience while being there. So I think just the job came up to join, you know, Mike Curtis's staff at UVA men's basketball and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I enjoyed training myself as an athlete, which is how, you know, a lot of us start out, I think. Failed athlete, but good in the gym. Um, and yeah, from there, I got started with uh, Mike kind of as part of his staff. I hadn't really coached before. And his style of, you know, mentorship is just shoo you right in there. And you're, encu you're encouraged to coach really from day one. Wow. Um, so, you know, talk about imposter syndrome, um, and you kind of just find your way, um, and obviously kind of ups and downs, but you know, what kind of ended up happening was like this experience was, I found out really pivotal to kind of shaping my philosophy as a coach. So learning under MC learning, you know, um, about just training as a whole kind of coaching leadership, um, for anyone that's familiar with UVA, like the culture there is crazy, UVA basketball. Um, so that's kind of how I set out to build my culture with my teams. Um, so yeah, you learn a lot and I'm super thankful for that time. Um, you kind of get the coaching reps in, like we talked about before. And from there, that kind of set me up, you, you know, it's like very much who, you know, and if you impress the right people, um, you're in a pretty good position to get the, maybe get the foot in the door in the pro space. So from there, I got introduced to Dave um, in Austin, learned a ton of, under him, got kind of experience working with pros, um, I guess did the right things there. And that kind of led me to get the the Philly gig and finally kind of like be in charge of your own program and get to air some things out and kind of be leading the ship for a pretty um, what I think is like a pretty elite level academy. And that kind of led me to the second team job. But you kind of think back um, at that kind of pivotal time when I was struggling with the physical therapy stuff. And um, maybe I would have like persevered through and just stuck with it and been miserable for a little bit. But 
you kind of go with your gut decision in the end. And I'm definitely glad I did. Yeah. Very cool. I've, I've two comments and one question. So I I'll, I'll reframe something you said about, it's all about who, you know, and then who you impress. And I forgot who I, who I got this from a while ago. I've, I've said it like way too many times, but it's not who, you know, it's who knows you. So basically when you impress that person, then they say, Oh, I know Eric, he's legit. He crushed it as a GA, as opposed to just being like, Oh, I, I know Mike Curtis. And someone asks him and he's like, Oh, he was like, he's okay. You know? So I think like whoever you can impress or basically get them to vouch for you. Cause that's what matters. Right. I can say like, I don't know. We'll, we'll say Stu. Cause he, he, he's been on the pod, um, the talk shop podcast out ever at this podcast. Um, but like for him to say, oh, I know Matt, like super good guy, very professional, like we have good chance. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Me saying I know him versus him theoretically saying that, right? Um, but second, I think it's it's a lot more common about not quitting. It's not really about continuing. It's about people just not wanting to quit. Yeah, you know, and and I think it, it's hard for people to first if it is just straight up quitting, quitting, but to like the ability to step back and, and say, I'm in a different spot right now. Like my goals then yes, DPT school made sense, but I I've experienced it. I've thought about it. It's just not for me. So I'm, I'm going to pivot, you know, but yeah, I think it's interesting. And there's probably some listeners right now that are like, do I continue? Do I quit? Like, I think like you're allowed to change your goals, you know? Like when I first got into this, I wanted to do physical therapy. I got hurt as a freshman in high school and I was like, oh, cool. I can work with athletes. And then I was like, oh, this is kind of slow. And I was like, oh, cool. Athletic training. I can work with athletes. And I was like, oh, this is kind of slow. And then I discovered performance, right? Which is like the opposite of rehab and stuff. But so then last, and I'll stop ranting and give the mic back to you, is um, how long was it when you first thought like, oh man, is this like, is this for me? to you actually make that decision to switch. And then second is, is there any particular people outside of like, I'm, I'm assuming you talked to your parents about this, that you asked or consulted or confided in about this decision? And was there any specific piece of advice that you remember? Because I almost left TCU actually, it was one month into my masters and I was just in a dungeon, just reading research on like bar speed and cluster sets. I was like, this sucks, right? Um, and then I was talking to my old boss, mentor, Steve, he's been on twice. I should have him back on again. And he just said, the grass is always greener, stick it out, you know, at least like a semester or a year, just like, it's always, of course, oh, if I'm not here, I can do all this stuff. But like, you never know. Two weeks later, I get in with Zach Dakin and I'm with the baseball team. And I'm doing applied sports science. And then the rest is kind of history. So how long was it to think about stopping and then actually stopping? Who did you confide in outside of like the obvious people? And is there any like, advice thinking back about that moment in time that like really stuck with you yeah okay three-parter there yeah no sorry about that <laughs> you just no. got me on a roll yeah yeah you're on a roll yeah i'm not sure on the actual amount of time i know i felt from the jump in the physical therapy program they want yeah you transition from your undergrad classes more general to then like everyone's there to be a physical therapist and it's kind of this accelerated kind of summer intensive thing that they purposely make as a kind of weed out process oh, sucks. for the week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't remember it like fondly at all. Yeah. Um, 
but I remember from the jump being pretty blown away. Um, and just at, like I touched on, just not sure I wanted to do it. So I'm not sure too much time went by. I definitely, um, you know, persevered, I think best I could. And I know that's, I'm pretty sure that's a pretty um, strong part of my character to persevere. And I try to uh, have that reflected in all aspects of my life, ideally, I think. Um, yeah, so I think it was like two semesters where I was just miserable every day. And I, I was kind of doing better academically, but it wasn't, um, you know, to my standards, I guess. And actually, I, I went to my professional trial in Portugal, which like I missed like two weeks of this program, which you just don't do. Oh, that's impossible to catch up. Of really sure. hard schooling. You have labs that you need to catch up on. So I just did my best, but I kind of had to go for that opportunity. It was, it still is my one and only professional trial. <laughs> so you got to go for it. Um, and I think I was almost forced out in a way because there was really no coming back academically. And I tried my best. So I knew I wanted to leave and I probably left before they pushed me out in a way. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think it was like a few semesters, which by the way, felt like decades Cause you're just, oh, oh, when you're in it for sure. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm okay grinding. Like almost all of us are in SNC. Um, but it has to be like for a purpose you're into, you know, and you have to, if you're going to take it on as a career, like I'm not saying anything crazy, but it has to be fulfilling to you, you know? Um, and I think that was super important to me. I like probably any other SNC, like I'm not good for an office job. Um, so yeah, I get the grass is always greener thing. And that's the frame of mind I was definitely in. Um, but at a certain point, like you just gotta, the persevere, persevere, persevere mentality is not actually helpful. Yeah, it uh, wasn't like a, a knee-jerk reaction. Like you had sat on it for like a year. Yeah. Like I was yeah. just sitting on it for like a month or so. For sure, for sure. Um, I think on the point, I'm I'm really lucky that I have the support of my family and I can bounce things off of them, especially in a career sense. So I was telling you, my dad's a cardiologist um, and deals with these sort of things and hiring and kind of management of a staff. So I was constantly on the phone to him kind of deliberating and what do I do? And we kind of, and my sister as well, we both kind of, we all kind of came to the consensus that actually the grass is greener. And like, this could be a really great opportunity and you're passionate about this. So actually at that point, if you persevere more, you're actually wasting time before you yeah. can going with your new thing and potentially missing out on a great opportunity. Like I just walked right into this graduate, uh, graduate assistantship under MC, which then set me up for these, the kind of the following roles. So it's possible, you know, you persevere for two extra months and you miss out on these opportunities. Yeah timing doesn't line up you know and, and if you had had stuck it out it's like you 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 made it a whole three years hating it just to not quit you know it's almost like yeah. it almost makes you look more dumb you know yes yes absolutely yep and then was there anything particular from your family or someone not like was it was there a a professor or maybe like a an upperclassman when you were an underclassman that you stayed in touch with 
And he um kind of like how I, I just referenced like that one email. I was at my desk at TCU and I just like remember that moment. Was there any like combos with your fam or anyone else that that you uh remember about that point in time? Or is it too traumatic in the back of your brain? <laughs> just repressed it out of my mind forever. Yeah. Um, I don't I honestly don't remember a specific moment. I just I definitely remember many moments of just getting really getting down to it, like okay, put aside all of the persevere, persevere mentality, whether that's right or wrong. Like, does it make you happy or not? And what are you kind of forecasting for like a career in this space? Because like, you got to decide now, you know? Um, so I, I remember multiple conversations like that. Um, and I guess that kind of was was the final push I needed to kind of head to more of an SNC route. Fantastic. So that is the past. We will, uh, hmm. we will arrive at the the present ish of the coolest slash craziest story from your uh, journey so far. So basically, if you were like out at a bar, just meeting some new people, and someone's like, "Oh, you're like a SNC coach. Like, tell me about that." And then you just had a like, like a story you just couldn't even make up. You know? Yeah. I guess this would be kind of a humble brag. I guess, but um... send it. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess my first season at kind of working with the Philadelphia Union Academy, um, I was working kind of primarily with the oldest uh, academy groups so of the 17s. Um, and we were actually able to kind of in my first season go all the way and win a national championship. So that would be, wow. that would be like a key highlight in my career so far. Um, so yeah, just it's almost like that fairy tale thing. It's, it's not going to be very, uh, yeah, new stuff really. But as you know, just being with a team in the trenches every single day and you kind of experience the constant ups and downs and the emotions and you kind of take on those emotions for yourself and then to kind of go all the way, um, throughout the playoff run, um, and just, yeah, the raw emotions at the end is pretty incredible. Um, so I guess like something unique to MLS next and the Academy space for people that don't know is once you get to playoffs, you have to qualify, but they do it in Dallas, Texas mm. in the dead of the summer. So it's, oh. I know like it, it doesn't make sense, but they do it there every year. I think they recently changed it. Um, so, you know, it's like 95 degrees and up every single day and kind of the format of the tournament, if you got there is if you go all the way, that means you're playing like five 90 minute games in like seven days. Oh, geez. Yeah. So from a sports science performance perspective, it's like an absolute nightmare level stress on the human body. Um, like highly ill-advised but like it kind of is what it is so in a way like it really highlights the importance of the performance staff and kind of having this uh integrated i guess approach with the team coach to really like to a high high degree physically prepare the players to deal with that to cope with that super high level of physical stress at the most important time of the season if that makes sense so it's kind of like a stress test of your processes and what you've done throughout the year um and i knew we had a talented group 
I was pretty confident in our kind of physical preparation of the group, whether that's weight room, speed training on the field, kind of the periodization scheme, kind of exposing the guys to high speed running, sprint distance, kind of total volume. Like I, I was, I just had a good feeling about the group and their level of talent and their ability to get results. Um, and yeah, it's, it was just like surreal to see just kind of the playoff run and these kids just hanging on by a thread, just the level of grit and toughness um, and just the emotions flying every game. I don't know uh, how you are when you go to your team's events, but I feel like many uh, SNC coaches try to take on this persona of being very sullen and robotic and you can't show emotion. Like I am not like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. Yeah. And it's also my sport, soccer or football. So, you know, you're in, you kind of get exposed to that playoff level emotions. And I was just losing it on the sidelines. Like I, I felt like I played 90 minutes at the end. Um, <laughs> you, and you should have won a, a heart monitor also. I know like crazy heart attack level stress. Um, and yeah, eventually you get all the way to the end. Like we're just kind of keeping the guys together at that point, you really have to recover. You have to get the hydration right or else you're in trouble. Um, and it was kind of this almost like fairy tale thing. We're in the final, you know, you go two goals down and then we came all the way back to Jeez. win two crazy celebrations. Um, so it was pretty cool. Like I had never kind of won a national championship and uh, anything like that in my career. So that was, that was pretty cool. And then from a more, sciencey perspective just like seeing what the human body can actually endure um like five 90 minute games in seven days is kind of like a really cool test and like proof of concept that like the physical preparation really matters um what you do months leading up to kind of the most important time of the year how was the 17u team the year prior before you got there yeah, they're always a pretty strong, well-prepared group. Um, I think the Union Academy is just so well-regarded um, that it just attracts these top talents across the country. Um, yeah, it just really gives me perspective on what I was doing when I was 16 compared to these kids. Like we have we have kids moving across the country to to join up because wow. they know there's like a legitimate pathway. Yeah. Um, the union like we touched on those guys who have kind of made it through playing in europe now um so they're yeah the union academy is always pretty well set up to win i would say um compared to maybe other groups i think they got through like the semifinals or something like that previous year last is the biggest full circle kind of payoff story so whether it's something that Maybe you're just waiting to see kind of how it plays out. Maybe you don't know how it does. I think that that would be an interesting spin on this question or something that it took you a year, a few years to be like, oh, like that's why it, that's why it played out like that. You know, whether about you or a story for your athlete. So just when you think about full circle, kind of what comes to mind? Yeah, I think mine, mine was relatively recently. Um, I think it was like last year or so where I actually had to, um, kind of lead a full hamstring rehab and help kind of support this athlete back to full health. Um, which 
you know, we, as we know, like it's one thing to be conceptually there on rehab in general, maybe specific rehabs like that and following all the best guys there and consuming that knowledge. But definitely like it is a totally different ball game to do it in person, specifically relating to rehab where like, um, I think one thing I keep coming back to is like, there are real stakes there. Like, you know, if you're kind of a general SNC coach, you're making decisions, but maybe there aren't those elevated stakes where like someone could get re-injured and you're kind of pushing their timeline back. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a situation where I was, I kind of had to take the lead on it when previously I would more be supportive and handle more of the late stage on field rehab. Um, but this one, I was like fully in charge and kind of the one managing expectations, speaking to the coaches and academy, you have to speak to the parents as well. Um, you know, managing the expectations of the athlete through like this pretty, you know, it wasn't an ACL rehab, but it was like a hamstring rehab for a guy who was really fast and arguably was like predisposed to that sort of injury. So we've all seen like that profile before of a speed based uh, guy who's he's extremely fast, really bouncy, elastic, kind of lean guy. Um, he, he had kind of just moved over from another MLS club. So you kind of have that transition uh, adjustment period where he's just like not used to the type of training style we have at the union. Um, so you have to think maybe that played a role in it. Um, but yeah, I remember like distinctly kind of when I'm forming my long-term rehab sequence and kind of how we want to progress him back. Um, you kind of second guess yourself in that, like, I don't have 10 successful hamstring rehabs to my name that I can lean on, but I know I'm pretty good conceptually and I'm following the right people. Like I, I understand running biomechanics and running efficiency um, and these different things that like are components of a good hamstring rehab. So I was pretty confident on that, but we know it's a totally different thing to do in real life. Um, I guess I'll just like refer, I know you touched on it recently, I'll refer back to, I think I was watching a podcast with Boo Schechnader. Uh, mm -hmm. He was making the point how he got started in rehab. And obviously he's like a legend in the field was just like, he had a true understanding for just training principles related to healthy athletes. So knowing about strength and power, knowing about, you know, dialing up tissue stress, dialing up and down tissue stress, having this like expansive um, progression and regression menu across these different exercises for healthy guys. Like it's just, it's not different to being a good rehab specialist at the end of the day. Maybe the only difference is there are those like elevated stakes for getting it wrong where like you could re-injure someone um, compared to a healthy guy. So I remember hearing that and having confidence in that, like, okay, I, I understand training. I have some ideas I can fall back on. Um, and I kind of rallied up all my resources. I love Derek Hansen's work. I love Dan Paff's work like everyone else does. Um, and I kind of just went for it. Um, and obviously you can't show any sort of uncertainty to the athlete and cause any sort of distress in that way. So that was kind of potentially a challenge there. 
Um, and I guess at the same time too, like I'm working in the context of an academy and for anybody else who does that, like you're working with seven other teams, you're not just a rehab specialist for one guy. So I knew it was, he was kind of this high profile top talent guy. So I knew I had to devote um, a lot of resources to him and kind of how it went down, like typical rehab, just two steps forward, one step back. And, you know, another thing with working with sometimes children, like you don't have that total control over what they're doing. So there would be times where we would have a plan in place. Okay. Take care of yourself on the weekend. And then it's like, oh, I hit all these kind of shots by myself. And now I'm feeling it a little bit. And that kind of almost like throws off your, your plan for the week. And now you have to dial the stress back. So I think it was like a really enriching experience in that way. And ultimately it ended well. I think we had this kind of, I was, I was doing a lot of dribbles with him and uh, yeah, like definitely using some of Dan Paff's work there. Um, and we would do kind of build up sprints at a certain percentage of his max velocity and see how he was feeling and how his hamstring was feeling. And I distinctly remember this kind of breakthrough moment where he hit like a decent percentage where he could kind of move on to his, to his next phase and actually be included in, you know, team training, getting closer to actually playing his sport. And I remember that being just like a real turning point. Um, when previously you're kind of questioning your processes and do we have to switch up the plan? Is this kind of, are we actually making progress towards the goal? And we had that kind of breakthrough moment um, and eventually he's got, you kind of progress him back to, you know, team training back to games and kind of the rest is history from there. And thankfully he's been healthy pretty much ever since, at least concerning his hamstring. Um, and he's one of these guys who's probably on his way to get a pro contract. Um, so I guess you think about the stakes where like, if these kids who are like right there to potentially get a contract, like if they're out for a decent amount of time and potentially get re-injured and it's just a nagging thing throughout their career like that's not good for their potential to make money and be kind of an established professional athlete who sticks around um so it felt good to kind of get over that hump um and i think i guess in a way it was full circle where like you're not totally you don't have 10 rehabs of like anecdotal evidence to fall back on, like you have to put together kind of all the knowledge and skills you've built up, interpersonal skills as well, um, and kind of use it in practice and hopefully it goes okay. And thankfully in this case it did. So that was that was definitely a fulfilling moment um, for me and definitely like memorable. I haven't been doing this for that long, but that, that I think that that one definitely sticks out. I was going to say rehab is definitely the wild, wild west. And then you were like, and then I had talked to parents and I was like, that is the wild, wild, wild west, west wild for west. sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you, you did a good job of illustrating all the things that go into it on top of like just the rehab itself, right? You have all the other teams, you have the coaches, you have to do your homework beforehand, which especially if you haven't done it before, right? How nice would it be if we could get 10 years of experience in one year, right? but if you're doing the podcast if you have a network and you're talking to people and you have people that you can like send 
you know, if they're more experienced in rehab, you can send your plans their way, right? All that stuff kind of adds up and and like because you did did it the right way, like it worked out well, you know, but I've definitely had um some some setbacks and rehabs before and then it makes you like super question everything, you know? And of course there's so many factors that like you can't control, but to like do a successful rehab is like probably one of the best feelings for sure. But um going back to like, you know, Boo and and his kind of stuff is and Derek Hansen as well as he's been a big influence is like well, good rehab is just really regressed training. So like you can either look at it like if I were to start with someone who's never ran a day in their life, where would I start? Well, I do the A position, A march in place. And then I do A skips in place. And then high knees in place. Then you move forwards, et cetera, et cetera. Or if you can't upright sprint, well, then can you accelerate? And if you can't do that, well, then could you resist the sprint to kind of slow you down a little bit? Well, if you can't do that, could you like resist it A run in place? Well, if you can't do that, then uh, a march in place. If you can't do that, then like, don't raise your knees as high, right? Like that's just kind of like, there's these levels to where I'll bring this full circle of working at a place like TC boost on the private side, working in an, in an academy with like all the eight ranges of sport. I've taught sprinting to eight year olds and I've taught sprinting to like adults that want to train to pros, to college kids, to high schoolers and everything kind of in between, you know? So just having a bigger catalog in your back pocket of just really good training helps if you don't have all that like specific kind of rehab experience 100 percent, yeah you got to have that plan a b c maybe even d in there and also maybe it's a little different in the private sector but um i guess in the scenario where it's a really important guy to the team and this definitely happens at the pro level where like he is this hypothetical athlete is really critical to the team having success and there are like monetary implications there so like Jeez. i haven't personally been in that position but i've heard about just like the pressure being put on these kind of rehab specialists and it's like you don't really have a decision there sometimes so it's like you how do we dial up the stress and dial it down to actually accelerate the rehab timeline because they really need this guy and it's not this like ideal, uh, you know, research study uh, scenario where it's nice and sterile and you're in control of everything. Like it's really not. So I didn't feel that level of pressure um, necessarily like you you might at the pro level, but he was definitely an important guy who like needed to be out there. So that was an interesting experience as well. I would definitely say too, like, I don't struggle with this, but I can see some people struggling with it. Like when you actually don't have at the current moment, you're this expansive menu of exercises and you don't really have the answer. Maybe it's rehab. Maybe it's something else like not being too prideful to reach out to people within your network and like hum humbling yourself to a certain degree to people who are much smarter than you. Like, I think that's, that's never, I'm lucky to know the people I know, I guess, and are kind of accessible to me, but that's never really been an issue for me. Like reaching out if I don't have an answer just to kind of hold my, uh, I guess like self-importance together, you know? So that, that would be kind of an example, I, I guess a good example of that where like, I didn't always have the answer. I had kind of the general concepts of rehab in general, hamstring rehabs, running mechanics, return to speed, whatever down packed pretty much but I didn't have the management of those pieces down yet. 
So I was doing a lot of reaching out. I wasn't necessarily telling the athlete that I was because you got to maintain confidence. But like, I think that's a good lesson, especially for up and coming coaches who are trying to establish themselves. Like they, there's this, I guess, inherent need to come off like you always have it together when like you don't. Like even the top, top people in the field reach out to other people and bounce ideas maybe or don't always have the answer. So I think it's a good lesson. And when you don't have all of that experience, it's like, what else can you do is like other people's experience yeah. or like whatever else you can do, like leave no doubt that you've done what you can to like make that program great, at least to get it going. And then you just learn as you go, you know? Um, so yeah, I think it was a super cool story and, and lesson and, um, yeah, rehab is super, super fulfilling. I, I would totally agree. So, so thank you very much, sir. You survived the gauntlet of TSP, some questions that uh, I sent before and some questions I did not, but I'd like to roll out the red carpet for you, sir. So thank you very much. And uh, where can the listeners get more of uh, Eric and uh, yeah, plug whatever you got to plug. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to be like you and be a little more active on social media with the training content. Um, so I'm getting there, but my Instagram is uh, Udels, U-D-E-L-S underscore. So that would be one, um, I guess, just Eric Udelson on Twitter, LinkedIn, but I'm not really posting there necessarily. Just a lurker. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You are on your way. and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll chat social media soon. So thank you very much again, sir. I appreciate your time. and I look forward to connecting next. All right. Great. Thanks for having me, man.